So the title of tonight's sermon is The Law of Love. The Law of Love. We'll look at it in two parts. Uh, first, love is owed to all. Love is owed to all. And second, uh, love is the fulfilling of God's law. So that's where we're going. So first, let's look at this idea that love is owed by all. So, uh, sorry, his love is owed to all. And so we see this is flowing out of that preceding context. I told you we were skipping tonight. Um, it's where this comes from. He says, owe no one anything. But if you look in the previous um, verses, in verse 7, it says, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything. So he, he's making this connection with what he's previously said. So in this first um, section of chapter 13, he's saying it is pay taxes to these ministers of God, these servants of God that are in the, in the, the government, the governing authorities. Pay your taxes to them, respect them, honor them as they are ministers of God. Like God has put them in this role, so therefore respect them. Therefore pay the taxes that are due, the revenue that is owed, and honor them who honor is owed. And then he says something, he says, owe no one anything. Now there's a couple different ways that commentators have treated this phrase here. Uh, one is as a, a new command, like don't owe anyone anything. Don't be in debt to anyone, right? Don't, don't do that. Another uh, understanding of this is this the idea is that, that um, all debts are really debts of love. And so when you give the honor that is owed to someone, <coughs> or the respect that is owed to someone, or the taxes that are owed to someone, you're, that debt that, is, that you owe to that person is ultimately an, a debt of love. So he says, you don't owe anyone anything except to love each other. And I tend to take that reading of it, um, that he is saying that really, when it all boils down to it, whatever is owed, whatever is your duty to fulfill, the umbrella Overall of that is love for one another. And so that leads us to this idea that love is owed to all. Love for one another is commanded by God and is therefore not optional. You see? And this leads us to really an immediate point of application and sort of a, a gut check because... If you're like me, you probably feel like you have the right to your love, that, that you own your affections, you own your love. Do you feel like you have the right to limit who you love? Or do you love everyone as God has commanded? Is love something that you own and then distribute to those who you choose or is love something owned and defined by God to which you're bound to give to those whom he chooses? So who owns love? Do you own it and have the right then to limit it to who you want to love? Or does God own it and he has the right to tell us who we are to love? Now, all this talk about love, we have to ask the question, what is love? Someone finish it. Thank you, Elijah. 
come on, you guys got to get better taste in music. Come on. <laughs> so what is love? Really, the, the real question to that is, who is love? When, if you want to know what is love, you first need to know who is love. And the scripture says that, that God is love. And we've talked about this before, that, that God himself is love. He's not just loving, but his divine nature is love. As he exists as a community, a fellowship of persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, that, that God is love. He is a father who loves his son in the spirit of love eternally. And so since God is love, he defines what love is. Right? We shouldn't seek to define love apart from God. He has the right over it. And then also, he has made us in his image. We are bearers of his image. And therefore, we are making God known to one another in the way that we treat one another. Right? So the way we treat one another as fellow image bearers of God, we are making God known to each other. And so we want to make God known rightly, and God is love, therefore we should love, and we should love uh, one another. So if love is living rightly as those made in God's image, reflecting his glory, then we must learn how to love from God himself. So, so what I'm trying to do here is to show you that we do not have the right to make love in our own image. Right? We don't get to write the dictionary for what is love because the one who is love himself has already written that definition. His character and his actions define what is love. And so if we want to learn how to love, then we have to look to God. We have to learn it from God himself. And the place we see this, according to this passage of Scripture tonight, is in God's law. In God's law. So that moves to the second point. Love is the fulfilling of God's law. That's why he says in verse 8, the second half there, he says, For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, if we stop right here in this verse, if we just stop, then we could agree with the secular creed of our day, that love is love. If we stop here, we can define love however we want, and all that matters is that we love others. It doesn't matter what God has said. The consequences of our love doesn't matter. All that matters according to the love is love crowd is our own subjective emotional experience and opinion. You can't judge me. You're supposed to be about love. Have you ever heard that before? How do, how do you respond to that? If someone says, you can't judge me because you're supposed to love me. You're supposed to be about love. How do you respond? Well, you keep reading. You keep reading. The Bible doesn't say that love is God or that love is the law. The Bible says that God is love and that God's law teaches us how to love. You see how that works? God is love, not love is God. And when it says those who have loved one another has fulfilled the law, it shows us that 
God's law teaches us how to love. The law of love, then, therefore, is, is God's law. Now, this is important to, to notice it's here. It's important, um, really, in some sort of in-house Christian discussions on the, the, the role of the law, the Old Testament law, in the Christian's life. So it's important to realize here that this passage does not teach that Jesus created some new law, which is really no law at all, except to love. Have you ever heard anyone say that love is my religion? I've, I've, I've got a friend who's really passionate about that. She would say that love is my religion. And whatever I can take from Jesus or Gandhi or Buddha or whatever it is, that I can compile all these things together, right? Because love is my religion. And she says all that while claiming to be a Christian, to, to be clear. Uh, because Jesus didn't come to teach law. He came to teach love. But notice that in this passage, when Paul seeks to prove his claim that the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, he, he proves this claim by pointing to the law given to Moses, the Ten Commandments. Look at verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the law of love, according to Scripture, is Exodus, the Ten Commandments. Well, I guess that includes Deuteronomy as well. Ten Commandments are there also. And it also includes Leviticus, because the, the verse, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is from Leviticus chapter 19. And so when the Apostle Paul wants to say that the law of love that Christians are to fulfill by loving one another, he points to Exodus. He points to Leviticus. He says, you want to know how to love? Here's where God has taught us how to love one another. Now, this also disproves a, a common misunderstanding that the Old Testament God is this mean, wrathful, angry, law-based God. And the New Testament God is nice God. He's the gracious God and the merciful and loving God. So Old Testament's mean law, New Testament's nice grace. But that is not how the New Testament itself treats the character of God. He says this God who loved us in Jesus Christ, who gave his son for us and has given us all things in him and has told us to, to love one another. You want to know how you love one another? Love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19. Um, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal. He points to what they've already known and assumes its ongoing validity, you see? And so we do uphold the moral law of the Old Testament as abiding and enduring. Why? Because it is a reflection of the character of God, and His character does not change. What is good, what is righteous, and what is love doesn't change, because the one who is love doesn't change. So let's look at these of the Ten Commandments that are listed here. How are the Ten Commandments about love? Uh, you probably don't think of love when you think of the Ten Commandments. Like if I hadn't started this way and I would have said, what comes into your mind when you think of the Ten Commandments? It probably isn't love, I would venture to guess. Uh, you might have sort of some negative connotations. 
might sound like not fun, uh, maybe scary. I don't know what you might think, but I doubt love is at the top of your list. Um, but here, whoever has fulfilled these commandments has fulfilled the law of love. So how are the Ten Commandments about love? Well, first, let's go to Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 22 about the two greatest commandments. It's helpful to understand. In Matthew chapter 22, there's been this uh, debate kind of between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Jesus, and they are kind of got this argument going on. And, uh, the Pharisees come to Jesus, and in verse 36, they say, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So when they ask Jesus, which is the most important commandment? He says, love uh, love God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And he says, and the second greatest commandment is like it. And in other words, there, there's a similarity there, and it's love. It's to love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19 that we just talked about. And he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus says, if, if, if you want to know, it's love God, love neighbor. And all of the law and prophets are summarized and depend upon these two commandments. And so you break it down. The law is basically commands of how to love God and how to love your neighbor. And we see this reflected in the Ten Commandments with what theologians refer to as the two tables of the law. Um, you might see this, the two tables of the law. And it's, it's a holdover from sort of the older King James style English. And when you think of tables, you think about the things you're, you're sitting around right now. But this is actually like the word for tablet. The two tablets of the law, the two tables of the law. Tablets just sounds weird and not as like smart. And so we say the two tables of the law. Um, and so what we see in the two tables of the law, in the first table, the first four commandments, is how to love God. Right? You have no other gods from before me. You know, commandment one, I think it's written back here. No, those are the books of the Bible. Uh, no other God before me. Uh, no graven images. Don't use my, the Lord's name in vain. And remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Right? Those first four commandments are commandments that, that fulfill this love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Right? You see that? It's love God, the first table. The second table, commandments 5 through 10, are love for neighbor. Those are honor father and mother, don't murder, uh, commit adultery, put myself on the spot here without having it written down in front of me, or um, steal, false witness, and covet. So these are all laws that tell us how to love our neighbor. <laughs> you love your neighbor, don't steal his stuff, right? Don't, don't steal his ox or his camel, don't steal his wife. Right? These are, don't kill your, your, your neighbor. These are, this is how you love your neighbor. And, what, and one thing I really appreciate about the old Reformed catechisms is they, they teach us not just the negative prohibitions that are in the commandments. In other words, you shall not murder. It also shows us what the Bible teaches about the positive 
sides of these commandments. So what are the positive uh, implications of you shall not murder? It is you shall preserve life and you shall seek to defend life and to preserve life, um, to value that. And so that helps you to see that there's more to the commandment than just not killing somebody. It's to value life, to protect life. And then Jesus takes it to the level of the heart and says, if you've hated your brother, right, then you've committed murder in your heart. So the, the, the commandments are more than just the, the simple, straightforward statements of you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, right? These are summary statements. Okay. And so the, the law um, is kind of like a Russian nesting doll. You know, you guys know what those are, right? So you've got the little, the little doll in the center, and uh, it's just so they keep stacking on each top of each other. So you got this big one, and you keep pulling it off, and they get smaller and smaller and smaller as you go. And so the law is, is kind of like that. It starts out with these just two big commandments: love God, love neighbor. Those two commandments are broken down into ten, right? First table, second table, and those ten commandments are broken down into even more. Uh, with the, throughout the rest of the law um, and the rest of the Torah and the commandments of Christ and things like that. So basically the rest of the law is an exposition of the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are an exposition of the two great commandments. Do you see how that works? So hopefully that helps you when you're reading through the Bible. You're reading through Leviticus or Deuteronomy and you're like, what, what does all this do? I would encourage you to find the framework. How is this verse, which commandment is this verse an exposition of? Like, which one is this explaining? You know, the, 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 the go-to one um, that everyone would use as an example is the commandment in the law um, that would require that you put a fence around the roof of your house, a parapet around the roof of your house. See, in the ancient days, people hung out on the roofs of their house. It was like a place to get cool, it was breezy, you go out there and you socialize. Well, if you, you're up there hanging out and someone falls off the roof of your house, then you're liable for their death because you didn't have a fence around their house. So there was a command in the law that you must put a parapet, parapet around the roof of your house um, to preserve that life. So which one of you, so you're reading through that, it's like, what is this a commandment? Um, which, which commandment is this expositing? And we would say it's the commandment not to murder. It's, it's preserving life. You see how that works? So I would encourage you, maybe that's just makes your Bible reading more fruitful as you, it gives you sort of an interpretive you know, hermeneutic to understand the law. Um, so there's that. Let me get back on track here. Uh, let's see. All right, let's work through these commandments. In this passage, he doesn't list the fifth or ninth commandments. Um, and the commentators will, will go on and on about why that might be. My opinion is he's not trying to be exhaustive, that he's just throwing out the commandments that, that come to his mind quickly because he says, and if there be any other commandment, right? And, and if you notice, he puts the seventh commandment before the sixth commandment. And so I don't think he's just trying to give an exhaustive list of these are the commandments that you must fulfill to love. He's just summarizing uh, the Ten Commandments here by listing a few of them. So he starts with the Seventh Commandment. Now, this seems to be kind of a typical thing that was very common in Jewish writing in this time, um, to list the Seventh Commandment ahead of the Sixth. Um, don't know the reason for that, just is. Um, so let's look at the Seventh Commandment. You shall not commit adultery. How is this commandment about 
adultery? Well, it teaches us that love upholds covenant. Love upholds covenant. Love is faithful. Love doesn't break its promises. Uh, we live in a day in which adultery is barely taboo. Did you know that adultery used to be a crime? Right? It used to be a crime. Uh, why is that? Because adultery does irreparable damage. It is a, a heinous sin against another. The scripture says that sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. It's a sin against the body of another. Um, adultery breaks households. Like it's, it's not just a personal offense, but it's an economic offense, which is why it used to be a crime. Because it, it breaks households, it breaks families for generations, it causes damage. Um, in the ancient times, it, this was more of a concern, but it pollutes the lineage. So you don't know if a child is legitimate or not, right? And so it affects inheritances and things like that. And so this would be a, a significant thing. It's, it is not loving to commit adultery. Um, and so remember what I said, though. This seventh commandment is there, there are other dolls hidden underneath it, right? So there are other things that are summarized in the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. So an adulterous affair, or for most of you guys in your situation, the more uh, prevalent is premarital fornication. These things are harmful and hateful. Even, here's the key, even if you feel like you love the person. Well, I loved him. Actually, I was looking up some, some songs today because um, I didn't have a good opener, as you could tell from the sermon. To try to find something, I didn't have no love. But there's a song by Grace Potter called Love is Love. And the song is about her having an affair because she just loves this person, the other person. And it's celebrating it because hearts are hearts and love is love. So I really love this person. I've fallen out of love with my spouse. I've fallen out of love with my spouse. This person makes me happy. I love them. And therefore, we have this adulterous affair. You don't love that person. You hate that person. Because you've sinned against that person. You sinned against God. You, you have not fulfilled the law of love towards that person. Your heart, which is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, has misled you. It has led you down a path of destruction. So you might feel like you love this person and that you are loving this person by engaging in an adulterous affair or in premarital sex. But what you're actually doing is hateful. You're hating this person and harming them. All sexual immorality is harmful and hateful, including homosexuality. Again, even if you love the person, because by violating God's law of love, you are by definition not loving them. You see, God's law defines what is love. And when you violate that law, you are by definition not loving them. Again, love is not defined by your subjective emotional experiences and opinions, but by God's word. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder. 
What does this teach us? That love upholds life. And as I said earlier, Jesus takes us to the heart and brings it to the issue of, of hatred in your heart, that you have committed murder in your, in your heart. Love values and protects the image of God. In Genesis chapter 9, the death penalty is established. Did you know that the death penalty is actually a pro-life policy? People will say, you can't be pro-life and for the death penalty. People who say they have never read the Bible. Because God establishes the death penalty in Genesis 9 to uphold the dignity of human life. Because if by man blood is shed, by man his blood must be shed. Right? Because he was made in the image of God. So murder is this sin against the image of God that does this irreparable damage. There's no way you can make reparations for um, the, the, the sin and crime of murder. Therefore, blood must be shed. So love values and protects the image of God. How do we sometimes misunderstand this by trying to define ter- love in our own terms? Well, uh, I think a common one in our culture is that you might think love would make an exception to a poor, troubled mother. But it is never loving to take the life of an unborn baby, no matter the circumstances the mother might find herself in. So we see the situation in which a life made in the image of God is taken. But we might say that love would overlook that offense because of the circumstances in which the mother of that child found herself in. Maybe she was poor. Maybe she was troubled. But God's law of love commands that we show no partiality. Leviticus 19, very right before he says, this verse that's quoted here, you should love your neighbor as yourself. He says in verse 15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. See, a lot in our society today would say, yeah, we shouldn't, our courts shouldn't favor the rich, right? Our courts shouldn't favor the rich and show them partiality, but our system should show partiality to the poor, right? If you're poor or a member of an oppressed people group, then you should have partiality shown to you. In the Bible, God's word says you shall not do that. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. So love upholds life. Commandments 8 and 10, you shall not steal and you shall not covet. This teaches us that love doesn't desire to take what belongs to others. Uh, That envy is always hateful no matter if the person is righteous or not. We we might think it's okay to be envious of someone who maybe has their belongings questionably. Like maybe maybe they have some sketchy business and they got their money or they got their belongings. Or they got it easy and then we're envious of what they have. We want their stuff. We wish they didn't have it and we had it instead. But that's still hateful. That's not loving. That's still envy. That's covetousness. Another example in our society is the socialistic redistribution of wealth in which you're taking unjustly from the rich to give to the poor. It's showing partiality. This is theft. 
and support for such legislation is coveting disguised as charity. Have you ever thought about that? The human nature is crafty. We like to disguise our envy and covetousness as charity and caring for the poor. But true charity is voluntary. It's given. So the law of God, we see in these commandments that, that summarize all the commandments, as Jesus says, the law of God is not a list of hateful bigotries. Surprise! It is first a revelation of the character of our holy God. And being that, it is an objective standard and definition of love. And therefore, lawlessness is hatred, no matter what you call it. Right, you can dress a pig up, but it's still a pig. Right? Lawlessness is not love, no matter what you call it. And then he moves on here in verse 9 and says, you, uh, if there be any other commandment, in other words, the other commandments that I'm not listing out right now, like I said, that's the Russian nesting doll thing there. Now when we talk about God's law and how it has ongoing validity in the life of Christians, that it is the revelation of God's love, uh, you're inevitably going to hear this objection, and you might even be thinking it. What about shellfish? Clint, I saw you eat a shrimp one time. And God says that's an abomination. So who are you up here lecturing me about what is righteous and what is good and what is love? Well, um, while that's not the main point of the, the text tonight, it's important, I think, that, you, that you're armed for uh, that objection. And the, the way we look at this is that God's law in the Bible, in the Old Testament, um, can be divided in three sort of categories. It's a threefold division of the law. Um, but in this threefold division of the law, we see sort of the category of moral commandments, like we just saw in the Ten Commandments. These are moral commands that are um, immutable and they're ongoing because they reflect the character of God, like uh, you shall not murder, is you shall not murder. Right? And then you have these um, civic or judicial laws. There were laws that God gave to the nation of Israel as, as a nation um, in order to gov govern their civic duties. And, and you can see how there's a relationship between these civic laws and the moral laws because the civic law is sort of an application of the moral law. Like, how do we love our neighbors in life together as a, as a polis, as a people, as a nation? But the, it, the, there's a difference between civil laws and the moral laws that are commanded there. And then we have the ceremonial laws, laws that were uh, meant to teach the nation of Israel religious lessons about what holiness looks like and about... Uh, Jesus about the, the Messiah who would be coming. And so these would be uh, these, the, the food kosher laws. These are laws in which God is teaching his people that they are to be distinct and holy people. Um, and he makes these commands. And these are not in the same category as the moral commandments that we see elsewhere in Scripture. 
And so, yes, we are cherry-picking, if you will, verses, like laws and commands, but there's a reason behind those things that the Bible itself gives us this important thing. Because the Bible itself tells us that these food laws, these dietary laws, and the laws about you know, clothing and things like that, have been abrogated in Christ in the New Covenant administration. Like the Bible itself tells us that. So we're not just making these decisions based on our own bigotries, but we're following the whole Bible. And we have a reason for making these distinctions. So when someone makes that objection for you, you can, you can give them that. And then I would encourage you from that point and say, what reason do you have for your cherry picking of texts? Why do you pick this passage about you shall not murder as something that is good, right? And this passage about some sexual sin as bad. Well, show me your system of theology and your hermeneutic for determining that. You don't have one. It's based upon your preferences. Right? And so you can show them how they are doing the very thing they're accusing you of doing by making um, this objection. So what about shellfish? I love shellfish. Right? And I am thankful for the new covenant. Now, if you don't like shellfish, that's good for you. It would, it would kill your wife. Right? So there's, 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 you don't have to have shellfish, right? Uh, just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to, I'm already past that line. Here's a dad joke. <laughs> don't take the bait, okay? Don't take the bait. Don't let someone um, steer the conversation away because most of the time that's just an illegitimate question. They're just trying to get you off of their own conviction. So show them that you have an answer, a reason defense, ask them what their reason for, and then move on um, to the gospel in these conversations. So um, where have we been? So we've looked at um, how we have this duty and debt of love to everyone. That what we owe to everyone is that we love them. Well, okay, how do I love them? You love them by upholding God's law, God's commandments. Treat them the way that God says that you should treat them. And he says that love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, um, love is the fulfilling of the law. So this is the part where the song, like, got it. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, right? And you can't help but think about that line. Love does no wrong to a neighbor without thinking about 1 Corinthians 13. This is like the famous, famous like marriage passage that everyone reads at the weddings. But I would encourage you to really listen to this description of love <coughs> and realize how significant it is. Realize what a high calling and what a difficult task it is. And realize how far, far short of this standard of love that you fall. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 and following says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, 
hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love is actions. I think it was the theologian John Mayer who said that love is a verb. And this is true. I think C.S. Lewis said that before him. But I'm going with Johnny boy. Love is a verb. It's patient. And it's kind. It's not a feeling. It's not, I would like to be patient toward this person. No, love is only patient. I'm going to be kind. I'm not, I'm not going to envy. I'm not going to covet. I'm not going to boast. I'm not going to be arrogant or rude. You see, these are things that we do. And as we do these things, hey, we don't have to worry about it. See, there's two ways to look at it. The law teaches us how to love. And if we love as equipped by the Spirit of God, and as we set our minds and our minds are renewed by the Scripture and we focus on Christ, what Paul's saying is, is you don't have to worry about fulfilling the law because if you love, you will fulfill the law. It works both ways. And so... Uh, I hope what this has done tonight for you is, is allows you to, to look at God's law and to, to not necessarily feel intimidated by it because you've been freed from the guilt and the condemnation that comes with the law. Remember the first half of the book of Romans. If you look at the law and says, this is how I have to live in order to be loved by God, then it's condemnation. It is guilt. It is an unbearable burden that will crush you. But if you've had that burden taken away by Christ, who is your righteousness, who has secured uh, your justification as a display of the love of God, because uh, uh, God loved us while we were yet sinners, and he shows his love by sending his son for us. And so if we set our mind upon these things, uh, we've been freed from the condemnation and guilt of the law we're then freed to live according to the law and then love one another. Theologians would talk about the law is no longer for the believer a covenant of works. In other, in other words, a covenant that you do uh, to, to gain favor with God and acceptance before God or justification. It's not that, but it remains to be a rule of life. It shows you how to live. A life that is pleasing of God. A, a life that is worthy of the Lord that we talked about a few weeks ago. And so you're free to it. You're free to go and love God and love your neighbor without this crushing burden of guilt. The law is no longer an indication of your damnation and your condemnation, but it is an indication of the God who loves you and has called you to reflect His glory in this world. And you go and you live and you love your neighbor as you reflect God to them. So my prayer is that as we close tonight, that this, this love from 1 Corinthians 13 and this passage tonight would mark us. That it be a description of our lives and that we would uh, rejoice and we would agree with the psalmist in Psalm 119, 97, where he says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Well, let's pray and ask God for his blessing. God, we thank you for this time together tonight. We thank you that you have given us your law um, to show us your character, 
your holiness and the perfection of your nature. God, that it shows us our uh, shortcoming and it shows us our inability to live up to your glory, that we have fallen far short. <coughs> and we thank you that you sent your Son in, in human flesh to be our substitute, to bear our penalty of death for violating and breaking your law and to be our righteousness by faith as he upheld it perfectly as the embodiment of love. And God, we ask now that those who have been redeemed by your grace, called to your mission, that you would equip us by your spirit to live lives of love, not lies of lawlessness. Lord, we confess that uh, often we have turned aside from your law and sought our own way. But we ask that as we go tonight that you would make us uh, men and women who rejoice in the goodness of your law and that we would love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves and that you would receive glory in it and through it. And we pray this in Jesus' name.